Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I am Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And thank you for joining us. Uh, this is a great opportunity to talk about Christmas, but I think you got some things here that you maybe didn't know. I was doing more research, uh, digging up my old notes, going through new articles, and we got some good new material. And we're going to learn about what the true meaning of Christmas is and where things such as the Christmas tree, Santa Claus, Saint Nick, all those good things, how they came about and where we got those traditions. So let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive your Son, the grace of our Lord and Savior, in this Christmas season. We ask Mother Mary that you accompany us on this journey, and St. Joseph that you intercede for us. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, as you saw on the slide, this title is the Facts of Christmas, or the True Meaning of Christmas, and how these traditions came about. It's really fun. I think this is one of the funnest talks, because we hear these things, we see these things, but we don't always know how we got these things. So anyway, you know, the first place to probably start is that you all know we're in the season of Advent. And Advent comes from the Latin word avantus, avantus. Now, what's very interesting, and I didn't know this, I didn't even learn this in seminary, but the word in the Latin, advantus, advantus, comes from the Greek, let's look at our next slide, parousia. Now, I did know what that means because that's the Greek term used for the second coming of Christ. So Advent is a preparation, not just for the birth of Jesus, but the second coming of Christ. And so we put it all together. Now, that's why in Advent we have some fasting, because what do we do before every a Christian tradition, a Catholic tradition has been lost, is fasting before great feasts. You know, who fasts now before the Feast of the Immaculate Conception? Who fasts now before the Feast of the Assumption? or the Annunciation, or any of these great feasts that we celebrate, who fasts before those? We're even lucky to get a small percentage of Catholics to go to Mass on the Holy Day of Obligation, let alone fast before them. And so it's the same with the season, not just a day. We should be fasting a little bit, a little bit of penitential in the Advent season. Why? Because without some kind of fast, there can really be no feast. And we want the feast of Christmas to be a good one. And it's not just fasting. Other forms of penance, prayer, or almsgiving help purify our hearts and prepare us for the celebration of Christmas. This is right out of the Catechism, number 1434. Now, Christmas, as you all know, but we don't think about it, means Christ's Mass. And so it ties directly to the Catholic faith. Only the Catholics, we have Mass so when you hear people running around, Merry Christmas, they're really talking about Catholics, Christ's Mass. We hope you have a great Mass of Christ on December 25th. That is Merry Christmas, Merry Christ's Mass. And then when people say, oh, well, I don't want to say that. I want to get religious happy holidays. Well, that also is religious. That's happy holy days. 
H-O-L-Y, holy days versus holidays, H-O-L-I. And where did the holy days come from? They're all from the Catholic calendar. So when anybody tells you Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays and they want to get away from religion, they can't. <laughs> because this is where it comes from. All right. So people don't realize this. So this time of year is regularly referred to holidays, which came from holy days. All right. Now, what is, or let's even back up. When is the Christmas season? Now I'm going to, this little bit of this here is going to be recap, and then we're going to go into a bunch of new stuff. But you've probably heard me say that most people think the Christmas season is the shopping season from Thanksgiving to actual Christmas Eve. Then Christmas after Christmas Day, the Christmas tree's out in the garbage. You got that backwards. Because that is Advent from Thanksgiving, basically, to Christmas Day. This is a time of preparation, a time of waiting. Then people seem to take down their trees on Christmas or the next day. No, this is not what it is. We are entering into the Christmas season, not the Christmas day. All right, people don't get this. Advent ends and the Christmas season begins. When does Christmas season begin? I bet very few Catholics know this. Christmas Eve, the night of Christmas Eve. Actually, Christmas Eve, the 24th, is a unique day because the first part of the day is in Advent. So when you get up on the morning of the 24th, you're still in Advent. But then in the evening, it turns into the Christmas season, all on that same day. And so Christmas begins the night of Christmas Eve. That's why in Europe, they give gifts on Christmas Eve. I always used to love it because we're checking in, um, in uh, Croatian and I always used to get my gifts on Christmas Eve and all the neighbors got theirs on Christmas Day. But uh, this is interesting because Christmas Eve and after is when we should also have our decorations up. People take all their decorations down and you should be putting them up on Christmas Eve. You know, the, the Salt Lake City Bishop a couple years ago actually sent a letter out to his parishioners saying, don't put up your Christmas decorations after Thanksgiving and then take them down on Christmas or the day after. Put them up on Christmas Eve and you'll leave them through Epiphany or the baptism of our Lord. We're going to talk about that. All right, so it brings or begins on Christmas Eve. Now, when does it end? All right, this is fascinating because there's really three parts of the Christmas season. We all agree that it basically begins on Christmas Day. I said Christmas Eve. But remember, in our Catholic tradition, we celebrate a feast day the evening before. So technically, Christmas begins on Christmas Day, the 25th, but we celebrate it on the 24th evening. Because like when you go to Mass on Saturday night, what are you doing? Well, I went to Sunday Mass, but you went on Saturday evening. It's called the vigil. Now, <clears throat> if Christmas starts on Christmas Day, when does it end? All right, let's, let's walk our way through it. The first eight days <clears throat> are called the Christmas octave. And this is very important because the Christmas octave, octave means eight. The Christmas octave begins on the 25th, which is day one, right? So the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st. January 1st, holy day of obligation, no matter what day of the week it is, 
we go to mass. Why? Because we celebrate Mary, the mother of God. We can't separate Mary from God, from Jesus, her son. You can't separate them. So those eight days, guess what? Every one of those eight days is Christmas. People are like, huh? Yeah, that's Christmas proper. When we Marians say our prayers, we, sell, we say the prayers for Christmas Day all of those eight days. It's called the octave of Christmas. Now, you might be more familiar with the term the 12 days of Christmas. Because if you keep going after day eight to nine, 10, 11, 12, you get to the epiphany. That's the 12 days of Christmas. And that 12 days of Christmas brings us again to the eve of January 5th. And what do we celebrate that eve of? The next day, the big celebration, Epiphany. A lot of times, Epiphany's move to the closest Sunday after or around January 6th. Now, here's what's interesting. And there's, this is so much interesting stuff here. All right. So basically, January 1st, let's look at that before we get into the 12 days. That used to be the circumcision of Jesus, the eighth day. That's why we now baptize eight-day-old infants. That's when you should have your children baptized on the eighth day after their birth. Because Paul said, we've now replaced circumcision with baptism. Well, the circumcised were always done on the eighth day. So right there, if you say, well, I don't want my child baptized. I want them to grow up to be 18 years old and they can make the decision. No, Baptism replaced circumcision, and that was done on the eighth day of the child's life. And so we do the same with baptism, and that's the feast of Mary, the mother of God. Now, let's go back to this 12 days of Christmas. You ever hear the term Yuletide carols? We're going to sing our Yuletide carols. That refers to those 12 days called Christmas tide. Christmas tide, that means the season of Christmas. Those 12 days are a season. And those 12 days we call Christmas tide or Yuletide carols. Remember the song? So we go from Christmas to the Epiphany. And the, the Epiphany, as I said, sometimes the nearest Sunday to January 6th. But January 6th is where they celebrate it in the East, the Orthodox. What is the Epiphany? I won't get into detail there because that's coming up. The Epiphany is basically a manifestation of God to man. God revealed himself to man. How? When the three kings came. And the three kings came, the Magi. First, it was the Jewish shepherds. So God revealed Jesus to the Jews first, then to the shepherds, or excuse me, to the wise men. So first he revealed himself to the Jews, just like scripture says, I came first for the Jews. So the shepherds came. And then after that came the Magi the three wise men, or the three kings. January 6th is when we celebrate that. So let's look at our next slide, if Brother Mark can put it up there. You see that picture? It's a beautiful picture. People think that's the shepherds. No, that's the three magi, the three kings. And we all know they brought the gifts of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you remember why? Okay, gold was for a king. So this new baby Jesus is a king. Frankincense was for the divine, divinity. So this little baby is God. And then myrrh was used for burial. It was a burial spice. So that 
means this little baby was also a man. You got it all right there. A king, God, and man. Those are the three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Brother Mark pointed out to me that this rumor going around about that song, the 12 days of Christmas, let's pop up our new slide. There is the 12 days of Christmas. But if you look at that, I picked that one because what does that show? Consumerism, shopping. That's what the focus of the 12 days of Christmas is. No, let's take a look. Now, there was a, there's a story that it was created in England because the Catholic faith was squashed, and that's how they taught the kids the catechism. There's not any real evidence of that, and that's okay, because I still love what they stand for, because you can still teach your kids the catechism through the 12 days of Christmas. Y'all remember your 12 days of Christmas? 12 drummers, drummer, 11 pipers, piping, 10 lords of leaping, nine ladies dancing, eight maids of milking, seven swans of swimming, six geese of laying, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and the partridge in a pear tree. Let's look at this. Because you can teach your kids the Catholic catechism through this. Even if it was done in England or not, it doesn't matter because you can still do it. Let's look at this. 12 drummers drumming. What do you want to teach your kids about that? The 12 points of the Apostles' Creed. If you recite the Apostles' Creed, there's 12 points of our faith, 12 doctrines of faith. One God comes substantial with the Father. Created, our uh, Father, creator of heaven and earth, he was creator. There's 12 points of doctrine. So instead of 12 drummers drumming, we have the 12 points of doctrine of the Catholic faith. Next, 11 pipers piping. What did that stand for? To memorize the 11 faithful apostles. We had 12, but Judas faulted. So the 11 was teaching the kids the 11 names of the faithful 11 apostles, minus Judas. All right, 10 lords a-leaping. That's the 10 commandments. You remember your 10 commandments? Have no other God but the Lord our God. Do not use our Lord's name in vain. Third, keep holy the Lord's day, meaning get to mass and pray, especially on Sunday. Fourth, honor your father and your mother. Fifth, that you do not commit murder, not just killing a body, but gossip or slander, killing somebody's reputation. Sixth, do not commit adultery. That includes any kind of impurity or sexual activity with yourself or another outside of marriage. Seven, that you do not steal. Eight, that you do not bear false witness. Nine, that you do not cover your neighbor's wife or another person that doesn't belong to you. Or 10, somebody else's goods that do not belong to you. Got it? The 10 commandments. That instead of the 10 lords of leaping. Now what about the nine ladies dancing? All right. That's the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now in the Catholic tradition, we have 12, but traditionally This was written, must have been for the Protestants because they have nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. All right, eight maids of milking, what is that? The eight Beatitudes. The eight Beatitudes. What about seven swans of swimming? That's easy. The seven sacraments. All right, very important. Six geese of laying stood for the six days of creation. God rested on the seventh day. What about five golden rings? 
That represented the five books of the Old Testament or the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy. These are the books of the Old Testament, Numbers. Four calling birds. That's easy, right? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By the way, who determined what four Gospels went into the Bible when there was a whole bunch of Gospels to choose from? The Catholic Church. Councils of Carthage and Hippo in 393. All right, three French hens. That's easy. The three theological virtues you get at baptism, faith, hope, and the greatest of these is love, charity. All right, two turtle doves. That represents the two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't have one without the other. (laughs) And then finally... The partridge in the pear tree. You know what that is? What was Jesus nailed to? A tree. You know who the partridge in the pear tree is? Jesus on the cross. And you know why he says pear? Because it bore fruit. That's amazing. All these times we start seeing and a partridge in a pear tree. And we have no idea what we're saying. That's Jesus nailed to a tree that bears fruit. Amazing, and we don't even know this. That's the 12 days of Christmas that goes to the epiphany. Quite interesting. Now, the Christmas season still doesn't stop at the epiphany now. Our Christmas season goes all the way until the baptism of Jesus, which is the Sunday after the epiphany. And guess what? It used to, even farther than that, back in the 60s, go all the way to February 2nd, called the Presentation, or Candlemas. You know why they called it Candlemas? Because people would bring their candles to Mass. It's actually like Christmas. It was Candle Mass, C-A-N-D-L-E-M-A-S. Candle Mass means you bring your candles that you're going to use this year in your home to Mass to have them blessed because we just finished the Christmas season and Christ, the light of the world, is now going to light your life at home. Amazing in this stuff our kids don't know. And so thank you for joining us today for this stuff. And so the faithful do this. This is what our faithful do. Now what about the Christmas tree? This is a good story. And I told a real short version of it on a video last week. So if you saw that, hang with us because I'm going to add some things. Now, you ever hear that the Saint, the Christmas tree came from St. Boniface? I bet you haven't. Let's look at our next slide. If Brother Mark can put up our next slide, it's called St. Boniface. There's a picture of him. Now, St. Boniface, his real name was Winfred. So did you ever know that your Christmas tree came to you from a guy named Winfred? (laughs) All right. He was born in England into a Christian family in 680, right? So the faith had come to England and it was also in Northern Europe, but then the, the, uh, the, the pagans kind of ran it back out. So Northern Europe and most of Central Europe were still then in pagan darkness. And so he went And he went to Germany, and he discovered there that they had reverted back to their pagan ways. So the faith wasn't sticking. So he went there, and he noticed that they were celebrating the winter solstice. 
We're going to be talking about that more because non-Catholics will tell you or non-Christians that your Christmas is just based on the winter solstice. It's just a bunch of pagan stuff. We'll talk about that. So he gets to Germany and they're celebrating the winter solstice. And they have this poor young guy under Odin's sacred oak tree. And they're going to kill this guy. This is documented historical fact. This is not legend. This is not fable. This is documented historical fact. So Boniface gets there. They're ready to kill this guy. They're going to sacrifice him under the sacred oak tree, Odin's oak tree, that was sacred to their god Thor. Your kids watch that superhero movie Thor? Bet you didn't know this part of it because I can get, I've never even seen it. I don't watch movies, but I can promise you, I'll guarantee you that this was not in the movie Thor. I don't even have to watch it to know this wasn't in the movie Thor. And so basically, let's look at our next slide. Here's a picture of St. Boniface cutting down the oak tree that they worshiped. These were tree worshipers and that was sacred to the God of Thor, the God of thunder. Now look at him. He's cutting it down right in front of everybody. Now, this is documented, as I said, and the people were shocked. They're like, the gods are going to kill you. You just tapped down their tree. He's like, nothing's happening because there is no other gods. There's only the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, they meant to, to, he, he meant to prove a point. And basically, Christianity now was shown to be over paganism because nothing happened to this guy he's proclaiming jesus christ and he cuts down the tree oh my goodness this must be god must be with him because nobody could cut down that tree and get away with it but this guy just did so something's going on here so the terrified tribesmen that were all there were expecting him to be punished and to be killed and he didn't So now they saw their God as powerless and they saw this Boniface as powerful. So they said, whoa, our God can't even protect his own sanctuary. His own sanctuary is the tree and he can't even be protecting of it. Let's see what this Boniface guy has to say. So anyway, Boniface started teaching them about Christianity and he built a little chapel right on the spot. And they fearfully recognized the hand of God and they asked him, how do we celebrate Christmas? Because he came and he told them about Christmas. So basically, this tree came smashing down and there was a little evergreen tree that totally survived, that the tree splintered into four pieces and came crashing down and smashed everything around it. And this little evergreen tree survived. And they're looking at this tree. And he thought, "Uh uh-oh, now they're going to start worshiping this tree. So he said, no, 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 no. He said, this tree is a symbol. And he pointed to the small little evergreen tree that remained. And he showed them that the top pointed to heaven. So he said, you see this tree? The top points to heaven. And the evergreen stood for what? The tree was made of evergreen, meaning it ever stays green. It doesn't die. What does that mean? Like God, it has immortal life. 
And so he represented the tree of life in the Garden of Adam and Eve through this tree. He said, this tree's like the tree of life in the Garden of Adam and Eve. It's not going to die. And so Jesus died on a tree, did he not? But what did that tree give us? Life. So it's symbolized in this little evergreen tree pointing to heaven that always stays green. And Boniface asked everyone to take home a little fir tree and spread the faith that it did. It spread all around Germany. So people began to hang wafers from it. So they would take this tree and they hung wafers from it. What do you think they hung the wafers from it? Little circular wafers. They would hang from the tree. Why do you think they did that? It represented the Eucharist. And those wafers then became cookies. So they weren't hanging real, don't get upset, they weren't hanging real consecrated hosts, but they were hanging wafers that represented the Eucharist. Guess what those turned into? Our next slide, the Christmas bulb. The Christmas bulb that you hang on your tree, did you have any idea when you were hanging it on the tree that it represented the Eucharist? There's a picture of a beautiful one we have with St. Faustina and Jesus' divine mercy right there. Hang that on your tree. We got tons of these. You can get them on shopmercy.org. One word, S-H-O-P-M-E-R-C-A-C-Y.org, shopmercy.org. We got a ton of these. Pick one up. Give them as gifts. And when you hang the bulb, then you can really realize, oh my goodness, I'm even living my Catholic faith with this Christmas tree. Nobody knows this. Fascinating. These became the Christmas bulbs that we hang from the tree. Now, the funny thing is, is you realize that every time you receive the Eucharist, it's like Christmas. Not just because you're getting a gift, which, hey, that works too. But it's like Christmas because what happened at Christmas? Jesus became in the flesh. And what happens? Every Eucharist turns into the flesh of Jesus, just like Jesus became flesh at Christmas. So you have Jesus becoming flesh at Christmas. And what happens in the Eucharist? The bread and the wine become the flesh, the body and the blood. That's just what happened at Christmas. God became body and blood in Jesus. And at every mass, guess what happens? The bread and the wine become the body and blood. Do you ever realize that every time you come to mass, even if it's in July, it's like Christmas? Because you're receiving a miracle. It is turned into the body and blood of Christ, the flesh, just like what happened at Christmas. God came to us in the flesh. Now at the mass, God comes to us in the flesh. The whole Christmas is Catholic. And we celebrate it all over the world. And yet, we're going to hang the holiday tree in Washington, D.C. Because we don't want to have anything to do with God or religion. What a joke. Talk about being blind. That, that, that's like shoving a watermelon in your mouth and saying, I don't like fruit. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And so this is what we have. You know, one story that I told this on the video last week, I'll tell a quick version of it. 
one story I love tells us how we get the tinsel. We're going through the Christmas tree now, right? So we talked about the pointiness, the evergreen. We talked about the light bulb or the, the ornaments, the bulbs. Now let's talk about the tinsel. You might have heard this last week, but the story says that when Jesus and Mary and Joseph as the Holy Family had to flee the Holy Land, they went to Egypt because Herod was killing all the little baby boys, fearing that they were going to become the king. And so Joseph, in a dream, got wind to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt, and he fled. Well, the story goes that on the way, they stopped to rest, and they found a cave. And so Joseph took Mary and the baby Jesus into the cave. And there at night, it got really cold, and the wind was blowing. Because remember, God didn't spare his own son from the elements. Heck, he didn't spare him from the cross. He wasn't going to spare him from the cold wind. And tradition says that the little baby Jesus was cold. And they were in this cave, and the wind was blowing in, and this spider. Because you know the tradition of the Franciscans that God does communicate with animals. And the animals know who God is. They know that they're created. Now, the Dominicans would argue with that because they don't have rational will, but that's a talk for another subject or another subject for another talk. Supposedly, though, this spider, so I guess you could say we're more from a Franciscan tradition here, not Dominican. The little spider, she started spinning a web across the door of the cave. This was the spider that wished to keep him warm. Let's take a look at our next slide. In fact, people have now, I used to tell this story all the time, but now I'm finding out people writing books about it. Here's a book, The Spider Who Saved Christmas. <laughs> this is actually a book that they have published. There's several books out there. I saw several different authors about this story. So this spider spun the web like a little curtain. Now Herod's soldiers came by looking for any young boys to kill. And two of the soldiers went by the cave and the one said, go in there and see if anybody's in there. And the other soldier said, why? Look at that big cobweb on it. Nobody's been in that cave for months and months and months. This baby was just born. So they went on their way. If there had been no spider web on the door, those soldiers would have went in. But God's way ahead of us. He used a little spider. One, one beautiful lady wrote a comment to me and said, after I told the story on Thursday, she said, Father, I used to hate spiders. And I used to ask, why would God ever create a spider? She said, now I know. <laughs> so this curtain of webs, right, that they saw like this web, they figured nobody was in there. So they left. And that's why we have tinsel. Because when Joseph and Mary then reached to pull the web off, it came off in their hands like tinsel. And so that's why we put tinsel on the trees. I mean, do our kids know this today? Wow. So this glittering tinsel, this, these little streamers, stand for the spider's web, white with hoarfrost. That's what it was, stretched across the entrance cave. Then, what else do we put on the tree? Lights. But before we put lights, back in the day, they didn't have electric lights like you do. They put candles. Why did we put candles on the Christmas tree? 
and now put lights. When you string your lights on the Christmas tree, do you ever reflect on what that means? Those lights you put on the Christmas tree were originally candles. People would light up on their Christmas trees way before electricity. And those lights, those candles, that flame stands for Christ, the light of the world. So how funny when atheists put up their trees, they say, well, you know, this is my holiday tree. Yeah, yeah, I've got nothing to do with religion here. I'm putting up my holiday tree. Well, you're putting up a holy day tree that represents Christmas, that comes from the Catholic faith and represents Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So God bless you. You don't even know what you're doing, but God's sending graces through you. So think about that. I think that's powerful. All right, now let's go to the next tradition. Let's have Brother Mark put up. You ever see houses with candles lit in their windows? We used to have a neighbor when I was growing up in Michigan. They hated religion. They used to make fun of us to go to church. But boy, they had their candle right in the middle of their window. That's a beautiful picture of a house with the candle in each of the windows of the house. Looks like one of our New England homes here in Massachusetts. And so placing the lit candles in the windows actually has a story behind it. You know how? All right. Back in the day, the British persecuted the Catholics in Ireland, all right? And so the British moved in, these British conquerors, and they were Protestant. And they went there, and the Irish people were mostly Catholic, and they wanted to conquer the land. So to, to totally do that, the British had to crush the Catholic faith, the faith of the Irish. So during Christmas... Every faithful Catholic Irish family hoped that a priest would come and visit their home. But the priests were kind of in hiding. So when the priest would go by a home, they had no idea, is this a British sympathizer and a Protestant home? Or is this a Catholic, an Irish Catholic home? They didn't know. They wanted to receive the sacraments. And so in return... The priest who would walk by, they decided that, you know, they wanted to bring the priests in. They wanted to invite them in. And they wanted to receive the sacraments and offer them hospitality. So they would leave their doors unlocked. And they would place candles in the windows to single that if you are a priest walking by, it's safe for you to come in. So the word spread amongst the Irish Catholics and the priests that this was their little symbol Kind of like the fish. Remember this fish symbol that you always see on your bumpers of your car? You know how that started? That started because when people would meet other people, they didn't know if they were Christian or not. They would take their feet and they would draw an arc in the sand with their foot. And then the other guy facing you, if he was Christian, would draw another arc. That's why the fish looks like two arcs. I should have put a picture up of that. It was a little symbol to say that you're in friendly territory. So they would see these candles in the windows and they would say, we are in friendly territory. So this is what would happen. So the British um, uh, persecutors became suspicious, right? And they asked, why are you putting these candles in the window? And so the Catholics responded, our doors are unlocked 
and candles burn in our windows at Christmas so that St. Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus, the Holy Family, because even the British believed in the Holy Family, looking for a place to lodge will find their way into our homes and we will welcome them. So they told the British that this was a the, the door was open for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, not for the priest. And so basically candles in the windows became a tradition brought to America by guess who? The Irish immigrants. So it became really popular. So the Puritans in the New World didn't like it. You know, the Puritans that came on the Mayflower, they were basically the, the pilgrims, the Puritans. They didn't really celebrate Christmas. It really wasn't celebrated. But then later came the immigrants from uh, Poland, Ireland, Germany, Italy. They brought back the Christmas Catholic traditions. God bless them. So we got a mix in America of the British Anglo-Saxon traditions and the European Catholic traditions. Now we have American Christmas. And that starts with Santa Claus. Now we're going to explain to you who and what is Santa Claus. Let's have Brother Mark put up our next slide. It starts with St. Nicholas. Notice he's a bishop. He's got the martyr on. He's got the big beard. <clears throat> he's got the robe. He was the bishop of Myra, way back in the fourth century. He was actually at the Council of Nicaea, all right, that condemned Arianism. He actually slapped him in the face. Now, he came into an inheritance. So he was rather wealthy, but he was concerned with the poor. You want to know how Santa Claus came about? We're going to tell you. A man lost all his money, and his three daughters could not find husbands because back then there was no dowry, there was no money for them, there was no, nobody wanted to marry them because they were extreme poverty. So in despair, this wretched father was going to sell his own daughters into prostitution. Can you imagine? And so Nicholas heard this. Now he's just a bishop. So he took a bag of gold and he went to the house and he threw the bag of gold into the window. Tradition says it landed in the family shoes, the shoes and the socks that were laid out drying near the fire. And so the tradition is that he threw this gold in the window and it landed in these shoes where the shoes and the socks were being dried. And so the gold that landed there helped the father. This is why now children leave their shoes in the stockings on the fireplace. Because they hang them by the fireplace in the hopes that they too will receive a gift on the eve of that feast. This is interesting. So St. Nicholas brought this, and he's associated with Christmas because of the tradition that he gave secret gifts to children. This is very interesting. Now, it's also thought that the saint who was known to wear red robes, as we just saw, right, um, had a long white beard. Kind of get the picture of Santa Claus coming up here? And they said that he was basically culturally converted 
into a large man with a reindeer sled full of toys because in German, his name was San Nicolas. Saint Nicholas, San Nicolas. And that, when you say it, San Nicolas, San Nicolas sounds like Santa Claus. So it almost sounds like Santa Claus. Now the Dutch settlers in the New World, New Amsterdam, New York, also adopted this custom. And they converted it into the Nordic magician, Sinterklaas. It sounded just like it in the German. So St. Nicholas, or St. Claus, became Santa Claus. This is who we celebrate, a Catholic saint. That's why the Puritans wanted nothing to do with Christmas and Santa Claus, because we can't honor a saint. Santa Claus was a Catholic saint. I bet you didn't know that. He died on December the 6th, 346. And so we celebrate December the 6th in Europe as the big gift-giving day. We have an employee that works for us, uh, Kathy. I call her Kashu. She's from Poland. And I always, we always tease each other because the big day of giving gifts is not December 25th. It's December the 6th. That's the big day. So St. Nicholas is the reason. He's the patron of children and of sailors. And his intercession is sought by shipwrecked sailors. If you ever get shipwrecked, pray to St. Nicholas. And by those in difficult economic circumstances, so if you've lost your job, pray to St. Nick. And those affected by fires, so pray to St. Nick. So throughout most of church history, Christians did not give gifts on December 25th. They gave them on December the 6th. Instead, what did they do on the 25th? What was the big thing on the 25th? Not giving gifts. It was the Mass. Remember? This was dedicated day to Christ's birth. Christ Mass. Christmas. So gifts would be given on the 6th of December, the feast day of the 4th century Bishop St. Nicholas. Now, let's go back to those Protestant reformers that I told you didn't like Christmas because it was based on a Catholic saint. Why did they reject the Christian or the Christmas season? Because they rejected venerations of saints. <clears throat> so they had to reject St. Nicholas because this was a Catholic saint. They abolished the use of the whole liturgical corner, uh, calendar, I should say, that celebrated Sinterklaas, St. Nicholas, even Washington Irving, Washington Irving, in 1809, described this and used Santa Claus. Now, the rest of what we associate with Santa Claus comes from different areas. You know that poem, The Night Before Christmas? Twas the night before Christmas? That came from an 1823 poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas. Catholic saint. But here's the big one I bet you didn't know. You know the image that we have of Santa Claus right now, the big red jolly with the hat and the big red beard and the ho, ho, ho? You know where that comes from? Coca-Cola. Look at our next slide. 
Coca-Cola advertisements ingrained in the American consciousness the image of a red and white robed, jolly, white-bearded man with the goal of getting people to drink more soda in the winter because their sales were real high in the summer. Makes sense. It's hot. I want a cool drink. But nobody drinks soda in the winter. So the masterminds at Coca-Cola 100 years ago or more thought of this great idea that we're going to take this Santa Claus and we're going to form him in a picture. It's kind of like a Norman Rockwell painting. And we're going to have him drinking Coca-Cola. It skyrocketed. One of the great first advertising campaigns was Santa drinking Coca-Cola. That's how we have that image of him today. Kind of sad, but kind of interesting. Now, I want to show you, we're going to take a break here because we're well over halfway through. We only got a few more pages, two one more pages to go, one and a half. And it's a video of the true meaning of Christmas. It's only a minute and 40 seconds or something. But you know why I want to show this? When I was a kid, I watched Charlie Brown, the Peanuts. And as I got older... I haven't been watching them. And I always remember that episode with Charlie Brown with the Christmas tree, right? You all remember that. And Charlie Brown was trying to find the meaning of Christmas. And Charles Schultz was a very good Christian. And he wrote right into the script. This was the 1950s. Linus giving a description of what Christmas was. You know, sadly, I saw an article a few years ago that said, I don't know, one of the major networks, all of the major networks, I don't know, took this part out of a Charlie Brown Christmas. So, you know me, I'm putting it right back in. I found it. Here is that clip. been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Okay, everybody, we're coming back up. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Now, there is a beautiful blast from the past in my childhood. Because I was a kid a while ago. But they always had that on the Christmas season on the regular television network. What a shame if we're not showing it anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's been some rebuttal and they put it back on. I don't know. But let's pray that our kids can be taught the real meaning of Christmas. You can't change history. But boy, our schools are trying. So now we have... Um, Okay, so I just got an interesting text. I want to read it to you from my, my assistant. This said, the first time Linus throws his security blanket away is recounting Christmas. I didn't know that. The first time Linus is ever seen without his blanket, the first time Linus throws away his security, way, his blanket away, is to tell about Christmas. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> so he just sent that to me. So beautiful. Now, what do we do? What can we do to help those who don't want to celebrate Christmas? What do we do? Well, we introduce them to the tradition. The people like St. Nicholas tell them to help keep Christ in Christmas. Because unlike Santa, they actually exist and they're venerating good lifestyles actually brings you closer to Christ. Not worshiping the saints. Show them that graven images like the pictures on their desk are not what God forbid. He forbid the worship of those images. We have image of divine mercy here. We don't worship the canvas or the paint. We represent what it stands for. So we want to imitate these saints if we object to that, you know, then people who object to that usually have nativity sets, right? People have nativity sets, but yet they'll reject a statue of St. Nick. Well, the nativity set is the same thing. It's a representation. We're not worshiping the little wooden figures for instance. So help your friends overcome the idea as well that rituals are harmful or bad. Rituals are very biblical. Read the Bible. Um, we want a relationship with God. The Protestants have that right. We need a personal relationship with Jesus. But showing how their most important relationships are celebrated are through rituals. Weddings. That's a ritual. Funerals, that's a ritual. Christmas services that they get dressed up and attend. If they light their trees, these are rituals. If they give gifts, these are rituals. If they sing Christmas carols, these are rituals. So show that the tradition is not opposed to Scripture. No Christian follows a strict form of sola scriptura because the very fact if they accept the Bible 
that means they accepted something that was really non-biblical, and that was when the Catholic Church picked what Bible, what Gospels went into the Bible. So traditions that contradict the Word of God are wrong. Not traditions necessarily, not just because they're not in the Bible. If they're not in the Bible, but they don't contradict the Word of God, we're human. We're, we're allowed that range. So just because a tradition is not in the Bible doesn't mean it's evil. Um, you know, having birthday cake, I don't think is in the Bible, is it? I mean, maybe, maybe there is. But does that make having a birthday cake and singing happy birthday evil? Well, it's not in the Bible. And again, I'm sure there probably is a birthday cake story in the Bible. But the point is, the sacred and the pious traditions that are in line with the Gospels, even though they're not explicitly not in Scripture, doesn't make them evil. This includes the joyful tradition of saying Merry Christmas. Many people say, well, I don't follow Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas is not in the Bible. Well, not just for one day, but the entire Christmas season is in the Bible because of what it stands for, the birth of Jesus. Now, a lot of people argue that the Christmas day is a pagan feast. You Christians, you celebrate a pagan feast. You're nothing but pagans, and you don't even know it. Let's talk about this. Many believe that Christmas is actually based on the pagan celebration of the winter solstice. I'm sure you've heard this. The winter solstice is a pagan celebration. Let's turn to our next slide. Yes, December 25th was once a feast called Sol Invictus, the birth of a pagan sun god. <sighs> there you go, Father, you admitted it. You follow a pagan holiday. You are therefore pagan. Huh. Let's look at this. Claims that Christmas was a pagan holiday ran so deep that it even influenced the Puritans. They rejected it in the United States and kept it from becoming a federal holiday till 1870. Do you know that Christmas didn't even become a federal holiday till after the Civil War, after Abraham Lincoln? Poor Abraham Lincoln. Never got to celebrate Christmas. Wasn't even a federal holiday. But there is no early Christian or even pagan writing saying that December 25th as Christmas was picked because it was pagan before that. In fact, early Christians went out of their way to show that they were very different from the pagans. Wanting to put the birth of Jesus on the calendar, they picked December 25th in the West, and you guessed it, January the 6th, the Epiphany in the East. All right, now, why was December 25th picked? All right, why is Christmas on December 25th? Well, I believe it's because that's the real day Jesus was born on, but let's look at this. It had more to do with Jewish tradition than pagan. Remember, we come from the Jews. For the Jews, let's look at this. For the Jews, March 25th, now not December 25th. Let's back up nine months. March 25th 
was already celebrated to the Jews as the date that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. Instead, the Lord gave a ram, a lamb, to sacrifice. This was the day, March 25th, that the Jews celebrated when the Lord promised to send a lamb to complete the sacrifice. You see where I'm going? Jesus was going to be that lamb to complete the sacrifice for mankind. But in the Old Testament, God promised a lamb would be sent to complete the sacrifice so Abraham didn't have to kill his son Isaac. And there was the ram with his horns caught in the thicket. Tradition of the Jews was that was March 25th. Now, to the Jews, March 25th also marked the first day of creation when God first created. So this was tradition for the Jews. It's when God said, let there be light. Now, don't ask me how they developed that tradition. I don't know. But all I do know from my seminary classes is what Monsignor Turo taught me, is that the Jews did celebrate March 25th as that first day of creation, that day to let there be light. Now, the early Christians saw this, and they recognized the connection between Christ as the answer to both of those. Christ, he's both that lamb that God promised for the sacrifice, and he is the light of the world. So guess what they did? The Christians dated his conception. When does the light come into the world? When is the beginning of a human being? If the beginning of creation is when light came into the world, when's the beginning of your creation? Conception. So the Christians realized that this would have been the date of Jesus' conception because if that's when the light came into the world, what is the light coming into the world? The true light, Christ. I am the light of the world. So they dated his conception when the light came into the world, the beginning of the creation of the man, God, man, Jesus. You know, he wasn't created as God, but when he was formed in the womb of Mary, March 25th. Because that's nine months before his birth. Well, let me back up. Let's not even talk about his birth yet. We determined first his conception was on March 25th. Because that's when the Jews say light came into the world. Who's Christ? The light of the world. When did Jesus come into the world? His conception. So we make that March 25th. And it also made sense that that was the day he died. This is when the early Christians believed Jesus died because he was the sacrifice lamb for the world. And on that very same day that he was born or conceived, he also died, March 25th. Why? Because what happened to the lamb with Abraham on March 25th? The lamb was sacrificed. When did Jesus die? He was sacrificed. And there go the bells to say, yes. So if Jesus is that new lamb and the lamb was sacrificed on March 25th to the Jews and Abraham sacrificed the lamb, it made sense to the Christians that Jesus was going to be sacrificed on March 25th 
So they believe he was conceived and sacrificed on March 25th. So if the incarnation was on March 25th, then when would it follow that Jesus was born? Nine months later. And nine months after March 25th is December 25th. You know, we just didn't randomly pick some pagan holiday. Now, if it's coincidental, pagans had holidays throughout the calendar. You could throw a dart at the pagan calendar and you're most likely going to hit a feast day of theirs. So no matter what day you pick, you're probably going to hit some pagan feast day. This just happens to be the pagan feast day of Sol Invictus. It doesn't mean it was picked because of that. Cameraman Giuseppe, his birthday is on October the 5th. Lucky man. What feast day is that? St. Faustina. Now, does that mean that Giuseppe took her day? No, it's coincidence or God incidents. But long before December 25th was a pagan feast of Sol Invictus, because the earliest record we have of the pagan feast Sol Invictus was in the year 274. Guess what, everybody? We have records that Christmas was celebrated before that. So to all the people who tell you it's a pagan holiday, they don't know what they're talking about. They hear it from anti-Catholic circles and they repeat it. They don't know what they're saying. So what you've heard about Christmas being a pagan holiday based on a pagan holiday is false. In fact, Father Mitch Pacwa, a good friend of mine on EWTN, says the pagan holiday of Sol Invictus was done in Rome to counteract Christmas. So we're, we're blamed that Christians did it to take the day of a pagan. And, the, and Mitch Pacwa says, well, there's historical proof that the pagans took it to counteract the Christians who already made it their day. That's hilarious. The Romans, he said, were panicked because all these Christians were celebrating this Christmas on the 25th of December. So we got to bring in Sol Invictus, the sun god. That's who Sol Invictus was, a sun god. So some say Christmas. Here's another one you've heard. Oh, Christmas is not a religious holiday. It's the winter solstice. No, the winter solstice back then wasn't even on December 25th. It was on December 21st. So it's not exact. It's nearby. But there's nothing pagan about it. Pope Bennett even says this in his book, Spirit of the Liturgy. I read it. You want to read it? There's no proof that Christians were trying to be like pagans. Other religions had festivals as I said, all over the calendar, no matter what month of the early Christians might have tried to pick for Christmas, it probably would have fallen on some pagan celebration. Just because it coincided or was coincidental with a date doesn't mean that the nature of the celebration was pagan. I can't believe this argument sometimes. But we have to answer it. You know, this would, it's, it's really amazing. And, and even if the pagan feast was first, which it wasn't, there's nothing wrong with the Christian feast coming after it. Let's baptize it, as some popes have said. 
being on the same day that we give Christians the opportunity to evangelize and counteract that pagan festival of soul invictus. Now, the purpose, if that happened, would be to Christianize the pagans in Rome, to bury this pagan festival full of sin. Hopefully, they'd forget about it. Whether Christmas came first or not, which it did come first, or whether Christians baptized the pagan holiday and the pagan holiday came first, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't dismiss the birth of Christ as the reason for the season. You just heard Linus. <laughs> so wrapping this up here, in fact, it brings more people to it. Christmas is definitely a Christian and not a pagan holiday. Its origin, very simple. It's a celebration of the day when the second person of the Trinity, God's own word, was born into the world. Conceived nine months earlier. This day is about Jesus Christ, not some pagan God. As I said, hence the word Christ's Mass. As we said, Merry Christmas is wishing somebody that they have a good Mass on the day of Christ's birth. That's what that's about. You know, in Genesis 3, after man had fallen in the garden, God gave us the promise of a savior and the gift of a mother. He did that because the damage from sin, the chasm created between God and man was so great, it had to be fixed. Here's the problem. Who's going to fix it? Well, here's the problem. It's so big, this gap now between God and man called sin. It's so big that only God can fix it. Man doesn't have the power to fix it. Sin created such a sever between God and man that man doesn't have the power to fix it. Only God can fix it. Okay, well, God fix it. The problem is God didn't create it. God didn't cause that rift, that division between him and man. Man did. Well, okay, then man fix it. Problem is, man doesn't have the ability. Well, God fix it. Problem is, God didn't cause it. Well, then man fix it. Man doesn't have the power. Hence, the God-man. If it is possible, we needed somebody who is both God with the power and man who contributes in his human nature to humanity so that he could repair the broken relationship that man caused with God. It makes perfect sense. Oh, all religions are the same, Father. No, they're not. Only in our Christian religion did God become a man. In Islam, God would never condescend to become one of us slimy, lowly creatures. God is too high for that. He's too good for that. And that is true. But God humbled himself and became a little tiny baby, a God-man. So he had the power of God to fix the damage and he shared in our humanity that did the damage. Perfect answer from our God. This 
is unbelievable. This is the hypostatic union. The second person of the Trinity who assumed a human nature. Now we have Jesus Christ. This allowed Jesus, who is God incarnate, to redeem mankind by dying on the cross and pay our penalty for sin, which is death. He died, he paid the sin. Then he defeated death through the power of God by resurrecting from the dead, and now he opened the door for eternal life, and we can walk in it. Wow. This is why we celebrate the incarnation of God made flesh on Christmas. Jesus was sent by the Father born of a woman, to reconcile all mankind back to him after man had separated himself from God. So, last paragraph. You're happy. I found some acute other traditions that I don't think we know about. And I want to share them with you because I think this is a fitting end. Here's a couple final traditions that we celebrate Christmas that you maybe didn't know. Do you know the little manger that Jesus was laying in? The cradle, if you will. Tradition says that was made from the same tree as the wood of the cross. Because a tree that Jesus was nailed to certainly was alive when he was born. Those trees would have been probably 100 years old. So tradition says that the little cradle, the manger, was made of wood from the same tree as the wood of the cross. That's interesting. Let's throw that on the screen if Brother Mark can show that slide. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a little beautiful picture of the wooden manger with the star of Bethlehem shining in the window. That's awesome. Here's another one. You probably knew that Bethlehem means house of bread, right? Well, do you know that the Eucharistic Lord is laid in a manger in Bethlehem? That is, what is a manger? A manger is a feeding box for animals. You hear it all the time, a manger. He's laid in the manger, away in the manger. What's a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. So the Eucharistic Lord is laid in a manger in Bethlehem that is a feed box in a town called the House of Bread. So if Jesus is in Bethlehem in the House of Bread and he's laid in a manger which is a feeding trough, he's the bread of life. He's the bread that will feed us to sustain us, and to save us. It is his destiny to be the bread of life broken for us. Do you know why the priest breaks that bread at the mass? It now becomes a, they don't break it till after it becomes a body and blood of Christ because Christ was broken. Blood shed. Did you know about this one? How about this tradition? He was lost for three days, right? We know that, right? The little Jesus was lost for three days, and where was he found? At the temple. Why did that happen? Because he will be lost for three days in the grave, and then the temple of his body will be found alive. The darkness 
of fear of the dragon in Revelation, right? Who seeks to devour the children. Remember the book of Revelation? The dragon waited for the woman to give birth so he could devour the child. That's the same darkness and fear that while swallowing him completely on the cross and perish the rest of us if we die in sin, was destroyed by Christ when he resurrected. It's why he's heralded by the star in the darkness on a dark night. Hell is real, and our fears of hell are real. But now this baby gives us the light to overcome that darkness. Do you have any reason why it was a big, bright light of a star that led them to Jesus? He was born to save us from that darkness. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Last slide, Brother Mark and show. So the reason for the season is not consumerism. I couldn't even imagine standing outside a Walmart in a situation like that. That's preposterous in my book. That's not the reason for the season. Consumerism, the newest iPhone, but what is, is Christ the light coming into the world. This is also why Christmas happens to be right after the winter solstice. Remember we talked about the winter solstice? It's not on it, it comes after it. Why is that? Because the winter solstice is the darkest day of the year. Now, right after it comes Christmas. And Christmas, with the light of the world, Jesus Every day, do you know, after Christmas gets lighter. Every day after Christmas gets lighter. In reality, after December 25th, every day gets lighter. And so meaning there is more and more light. So come to this light, the light of Christ. And if you let it, it'll shine in you and through you. Because remember, that's how you'll be known in heaven. In heaven, it will not be what you look like here. Here we judge people, tall, thin, short, fat, homely, ugly, pretty, beautiful. It doesn't matter. I always laughed. I said, in heaven, I'm going to be six foot eight. It doesn't matter. That's not how we'll be known in heaven. How we'll be known in heaven is we will shine brightly with the light of Christ. And how you do that is how much you shine with the light of Christ here on earth. That is beautiful. And so this Christmas season, may Almighty God bless you, keep you, and to you and yours, bless you. And we give all of the glory to that little baby sitting in the trough. There are so many graces on Christmas. Do you know, in fact, I was blown away by this, but Jesus told many mystics that the one day of the year that most souls are released from purgatory, I first would have said Easter. and I then would have guessed Divine Mercy Sunday. Surprisingly, no. Do you know when the most souls are released from purgatory that God has told to many, many mystics and they all say this? 
Christmas. So on this Christmas day, pray for your deceased loved ones. If you want extra prayers for them, like a million and a half extra people praying for them, Brother Mark can show you our next slide. Please become a Marian helper. You can visit micprayers.org there on your screen. Costs no money. It doesn't take but 10 seconds. And you've heard me say this before. I don't care if you ever donate a dollar. That's not what this is about. Now, as I always say, if God puts on your heart to help our ministry going, God bless you. But that's not what's required here. What's required is grace. You can get a lot of grace by receiving masses, rosaries, prayers, penances from us Marian fathers, just like you were a Marian helper. And finally, the last couple slides. If you haven't gotten the Explaining the Faith DVD series, please get it. You can get it on shopmercy.org or calling 800-462-7426. This has my talks about Divine Mercy, the Blessed Mother Mary, a walkthrough with a mass, all the good stuff. And then the last two are my books. If you get a chance, get my new book, Living Divine Mercy, or I should say Understanding Divine Mercy. Same place, Shop Mercy or that 800-462-7426. Tells you everything you need to know about Divine Mercy. And then the last one, if you're suffering at all, especially during the Christmas season, please get this book. After Suicide, There's Hope. Because it's not just about suicide. It's about any kind of suffering or loss or a strange relationship or depression or anxiety. This book will help you. So God bless everybody. Have a very Merry Christmas. Um, we'll not be doing a talk next Saturday because we'll all be busy with the Christmas season. But until then, may God bless you and yours. And we'll see you the following Saturday on the new year. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.